Well, if you want to take your Bibles out and find the book of Hebrews, chapter 11 this morning, this is our final sermon in our series, What Kind of Parenting is Best? And uh, for the first six, eight minutes this morning, I'm going to just talk to the kids. So moms and dads, you can tune out. This is for everybody that's here who is under the age of, let's say, 18. Um, Probably what I'm about to say you're not going to like. I'm going to talk to your mom and dad this morning about discipline. Chorus of yay. And I I remember when I was a kid and um, a discipline would not have been something I'd have applauded the preacher talking about with my parents. It's like, seriously, they have enough of that going on. And uh, you should tell them they shouldn't do so much of it. But I, I want to read a couple of verses that I'm going to be reading in just a minute with your mom and dad from Hebrews 11. I said Hebrews 11, didn't I? It's Hebrews 12. Uh, verses 5 and 6. And these verses are a quote from Proverbs 3. And it says, My child, don't make light of the Lord's discipline. So these verses aren't specifically addressed to you as children. But to all of us as God's, who are God's children, don't make light of the Lord's discipline and don't give up when he corrects you. For the Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes each one he accepts as his child. Now the people that were hearing this message were suffering because they were followers of Jesus. And the writer saying, don't get discouraged, don't pack it in, don't lash out at God. Uh, he's, this is not because he's being mean. He actually loves you. And if you are his child, you're going to go through some tough times. Uh, not just being corrected, but uh, also being conditioned. So to make you a stronger uh, follower of him. And when I talk about discipline with your parents this morning or with you, um, I want you to understand that your mom and dad... Your mom and dad have a premier goal for you that may be different than the goal you think they have for you. In other words, they want something for you that maybe you're not even quite sure is the main thing that they're up to. Because the main thing they're up to is to see you one day become a follower of Jesus Christ. Now, a word for that is in the Bible is disciple. And if you write discipline on a line and right below it you write disciple, you'll see, wow, they're almost the same word. Right. In other words, nobody becomes a disciple without discipline. And again, the the discipline that your mom and dad does with you is corrective. Some of it's to stop you from doing what is wrong and to urge you to begin to do what is right. And some of it is conditioning. Some of it is simply trying to shape you into the kind of person that will be ready, willing, and able to embrace following Jesus, becoming a disciple. And how does somebody become a disciple? How does, when you think about disciples, we hear from little up, those disciples of Jesus were Peter, James, and John. What, what, what's a disciple like? Well, they followed Jesus and they obeyed him and they, did, they learned from him and they did what he said. Today, when we think about disciple, we understand this is someone who has said yes to Jesus. Because the 
fundamental problem that you have that mom and dad are trying to address is that you are a sinner. That means you do things that displease God. It means you fail to do things that please God. And so they're trying to teach you not just to change those things, but to recognize that you have this problem of sin in your life and the only one who can solve it is Jesus. And so this morning, I wanna pray for every child that's here, whether or not you've made a profession of faith yet so far, be a follower of Jesus or not, I wanna pray that one day all of you will come to that point saying yes to Jesus, repenting of your sins and putting your faith in him. So I wanna pray for you right now. Father, for every child that's here, whether they're four or 14, eight, 10, 12, 16, I pray that you would pour out grace into their lives, that at some point the lights would come on, they'd recognize how far from you they are. Whether they see their offenses against you, their sins against you as small or big, to recognize that we are all, including their moms and dads, apart from Jesus, we are all in the same boat. We are all faced with your judgment upon us. And that conversely, no matter how good or how bad we are, we all can have access to the same Jesus who by his sacrifice on the cross bled and died so that we wouldn't have to face your judgment. And that if we repent of our sins and put our faith in Jesus, we can be born again and become children of God. And I pray that for every child here this morning. And for every mom and dad, I pray that this would be this would be uppermost in their minds as they teach and train and discipline their children, that they would seek to have one day all of their children become disciples of Jesus Christ. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. By the way, kids, I can guarantee you that your moms and dads pray a lot to that end for you. They so want to see you become followers of Jesus. All right, now, moms and dads, we are in Hebrews 12, and I'm going to read again 5 and 6, and then we'll read down through verse, um, verse 11. The title of this message is In the Path of Peace. Now, again, the people that are being written to here aren't primarily parents. This is suffering Christians, and the writer is talking about how God deals with his children. But there's so much information in here for us because the writer keeps making the link. He's trying to show the, the people the kind of parent God is as he looks at the kind of parents that we are. Difference being, of course, God's the perfect parent. And have you forgotten the encouraging words God spoke to you as his children? He said, my child, don't make light of the Lord's discipline and don't give up when he corrects you. For the Lord disciplines those he loves, and he punishes each one he accepts as his child. By the way, that word punishment is actually scourging. It's not a nice, soft time out. He scourges each one he accepts as his child. And as you endure his divine discipline, remember that God is treating you as his own children. Whoever heard of a child who's never disciplined by his father? If God doesn't discipline you as he does all of his children, it means that you are 
illegitimate and are not really his children at all. Since, he respected our earthly, since we respected our earthly fathers who disciplined us, shouldn't we submit even more to the discipline of the father of our spirits and live forever? For our earthly fathers disciplined us for a few years, doing the best they knew how. But God's discipline is always good for us so that we might share in his holiness. No discipline is enjoyable while it's happening. It's painful. But afterward, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. Now, we all know that not all parents do the job that God's called them to do. Some of them have been absent without leave or just not invested in their children. Psychologists call this uninvolved parenting. They're just not there. They might be in the home, but they're either too busy drinking or watching TV or building projects in the shop or talking on the phone with their friends. The kids kind of rear themselves. Or worse, harsh and abusive. We understand that. These are not the kind of parents that the writer is using as an illustration. He's talking about parents who invested in their children, who care about their children, trying to do the very best they can for their children, loving their children, guiding them. And I want to give you four out of this text. I want to give you four reminders today, parents, about discipline. Four reminders for you because I... At least when I was parenting, um, it's easy to feel like you're getting it wrong, and then if you are getting it right, it's easy to feel like you're failing in this way or that way. And there's some basics that the writer has in this text, I think, that are important for us to just go over again and again and again so that we are not conformed to the world, but transformed by the Word of God. The first one is this, discipline is love. Verse six, discipline is love. For the Lord disciplines those he, what? Loves. The Lord disciplines those he loves. There's a connection there between discipline and the love of a parent. In fact, it seems to go on to say that if you don't love your child, uh, or if you don't discipline your child, there's no love there. Um, I have a couple of books up here to commend to you today. The first one is For the Love of Discipline by Sarah Meets Tantrums and Timeouts. And the very first words in this book uh, tell a story when Sarah and her family were at, uh, on a vacation at the beach. Now, I think it was in California. So they were at a coffee shop uh, that was on a rocky precipice overlooking the beach, way, way high up. And they had a toddler, a little boy at the time, and he made a friend. There was another family sitting near them. They had a a toddler who turned out to be just a few months uh, older than him. And the two of them were playing together, and they were exploring their surroundings, as children are are wont to do when they're in a new area. And she, this, this other girl, was moving all around on the rocky cliffs, and they're Their parents said this, she's such a free spirit, we never interfere with her independence. And they didn't. And next thing you know, this this little girl wandered across a busy street that the cafe was next to 
all by herself. She's a toddler, maybe two, two, three years old. And mom and dad didn't notice. Nobody noticed until another patron screamed. And mom and dad went across the street, came back, white-faced, paid the bill, and promptly left. And the picture there is discipline, which again means sometimes correction, sometimes conditioning. Discipline is for the child's good. As a parent, I can't just check out and kind of let them do their own thing. The origin of God's discipline is his love, and the origin of our discipline as parents should also be our love. So if you have a misbehaving six-year-old daughter, uh, what kinds of choices, moms, are you faced with? I think there's essentially two choices that we have in the big scheme of things. Not the particulars, but what's our objective? William Smith, uh, another good book I recommend, Parenting with Words of Grace, building, relation, your relation, building Relationships with Your Children One Conversation at a Time. He says that every time we discipline, we have the opportunity to say to our child, this is what it's like to live with the great creator. In other words, we are portraying God to our children. This is what it's like to live with a great creator. Or the other option is that we can convey this is what it's like to be around the deceiver. In other words, what you see, as you see me in your face, child, you see me in your face screaming at you, shaking my fist at you, telling you how upset you make me, on and on and on. This is what it's like to live with the deceiver. Or this is what it's like to live with the great creator. And so if we take the time, and parents, I'm going to reiterate something I said the other week. I'm convinced that one of the biggest challenges to our healthy, God-reflecting discipline is that we have some place to go to. We're busy. We're in the thick of things. It's just this frantic life that doesn't permit the kind of reasoned and seasoned and calm and time-taking discipline that really our children need. So patience, affection, reasoned talk, firm but fitting consequences. In other words, you know, if a child forgets to put a toy back and we go ballistic on them, you know, a, a, a Banking, uh, unless it's willful rebellion over a period of time, is the response fitting, is the consequence fitting to the offense? The comfort and the consolation to a child after, uh, after whatever disciplines apply. I want to talk uh, later, uh, just an FYI, I'm going to talk later about what Betty and I did when our children were growing up, if you're interested in a model, at least that we had. So that's the, that's the kind of picture that presents to a child, this is what it's like to live with the great creator, as opposed to yelling, screaming, uncontrolled anger, door slamming, slapping a child in the mouth, uh, or worse, um, that's conveying to them, this is what it's like to be around the deceiver. And let me just say this here. We're going to get into this a little bit more when we get to verse 10. You are going to blow it. If you haven't yet blown it, 
Either your child's only a day old uh, or you're just not paying attention. You are going to blow it. You have blown it. You will blow it. It's not the end of the world. Discipline is love. And, and I, the reason for the reminder, I think, is simply that we need to see this calling on our lives as moms and dads not as something that I'm going to straighten you out. No, no, no. This is to be a manifestation of my love for the children. I'm conveying the love of the Father to them. Second reminder, discipline is what parents do. Discipline is what parents do. Again, verse 7. As you endure this divine discipline, as the Christians were doing, suffering for their faith, remember that God is treating you as his own children. Whoever heard of a child who is never disciplined by its father? Well, probably most of us know of someone like that or maybe were someone like this. A father that didn't discipline us or a mother that didn't discipline us. Whoever heard of a child who's never disciplined by its father? If God doesn't discipline you as he does all his children, it means that you are illegitimate and not really his children at all. Since we respected our earthly fathers who disciplined us, shouldn't we submit even more to the discipline of the father of our spirits and live forever? A couple things about being a parent who disciplines is that it's demanding. It is demanding. It is time-consuming. It is hard. It is thankless. But if you are a Christ follower who is intent on seeing these children grow up to know and love the Lord Jesus Christ, there is no expense that's not worth it. No expense in time, no expense in money, no expense in calming yourself down before you go to discipline your child. Nothing is too much. If we love Jesus, if we love our kids, then this demandedness is worthwhile. And by the way, don't ever have children to be thanked. Now, our, our kids have thanked us, but you don't get that until they're in their 20s. And after all, that's ultimately not their job, and you don't do it for that reason. The second thing to think about under discipline is what parents do is that it dramatizes the gospel. Oh, how I wish I had a do-over as a dad. These were the areas that I feel like we really failed in, to dramatize the gospel. Um, I think I want to read this now. This is from probably my favorite parenting book, I wish we would have had this when we were raising our kids. It's, uh, it's called Give Them Grace. Give Them Grace. Elise Fitzpatrick and her adult daughter, Jessica Thompson. And what's so fascinating about this book is that Elise grew up in a single-parent home. Her mom was a single parent, working two jobs to try to keep food on the table, pretty much neglectful when she was there, and not a, not a Christian home. Elise grew up, came to faith in Christ, and she and her husband uh, led their family with a very harsh, strict discipline. 
And so she and her daughter in their adult years uh, put this book together. So it is, it's a wonderful getting these two different uh, vantage points. She goes, uh, this is the mom speaking now. God has been kind to Phil and me by granting us loving Christian children. And of course, his kindness would never mean that anyone should cavalierly ignore parenting responsibilities and assume that God will just save our kids if he wants to. No, to live like that would be unbelief, disobedience, and presumption. It would be to fail to love our children and the Lord. We are always to do our best, striving to be obedient and to love, nurture, and discipline them. But we are to do it with faith in the Lord's ability to transform hearts, not in our ability to be consistent or faithful. And sinning parents, oh, how we need this. We need to be reminded at the end of the day it's God who saves and not us. Seeking to be faithfully obedient parents is our responsibility, true. Granting faith to our children is his. Freedom to love and enjoy our children flows out of the knowledge that God saves them in spite of our best efforts, not because of them. Salvation is of the Lord. Oh, isn't that good news? What a great reminder. It's God who seeks to save. What did Jesus say? I've come to seek and to save the lost. Not I've come to seek and to save lost kids that their parents do the perfect job. No, no, no. I've come to seek and to save the lost. But parenting can so gloriously dramatize the gospel. Let me give you some examples, six examples, before we move on. A child's misbehavior is a wonderful opportunity to show them this is sin. If you're following in the notes, I simply have child's misbehavior equals sin. Every time your child disobeys you, every, every time your child rebels against you, every time your son smacks his sister in the head or sits on her head, opportunity for you to say, that's what sin is. <laughs> because you want, to, you want to teach them what sin is, right? We, we've said this countless times, that the good news is only good news to people that understand the bad news. If you tell someone who doesn't know what the good news is, um, or what the bad news is, I have some good news for you. Oh, what is that? Jesus died and rose again to save sinners. If they don't believe that they're a sinner, there's no good news to them. Have to understand the bad news, and that has to be wondrously, gloriously driven into our children so that they come away believing, oh, I am a sinner. As they get older and older and older, oh, I am a sinner. Two, dad's discipline or mom's discipline equals judgment on sin so that they come away in the days ahead and the years ahead being when I am disciplined by mom and dad, when I am punished by mom and dad, it is for my sin. We're painting pictures of the gospel for them. When we show patience with them, when we sit down and talk tenderly with them after they have uh, after they've done something wrong, when we have explained what they've done wrong and why we're about to discipline them. Remember we told you that if you did this, this was going to be the result. And when we're holding them, we're not, we're not over here, they've, they're over here five feet away from us and we're doing this in their face. No, 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 they're here on our knee before we roll them over our knee. 
We want them to be reminded that we love them, period, regardless. Patience, affection, consolation, love, this equals God's mercy. You remember, remember what the scripture says in Romans chapter 2, verse 4, God the Father? It is his kindness that leads us to repentance. So as they see this kind of tenderness out of mom and dad, it's a picture of God's mercy. When you forgive your child, and it's wonderful to encourage your children to ask forgiveness after they've done wrong, not just discipline them for what they've done right, wrong, but to teach them the response, the proper response when we rebel against God, same response when you rebel against mommy and daddy is to ask our forgiveness. And we immediately forgive them. What a wonderful picture of salvation when we forgive our children. Fifth, reminding our children of God's unfailing love. That equals the security of God, I'm sorry, of our unfailing love equals the security of God's saving grace to us despite our shortcomings. Every time you tell your child, especially after discipline, I will never stop loving you. You never do anything to make me stop loving you, to make me say you're not my son, you're not my daughter. It's a reminder. The child gets a, if you say that often enough, they start to think, hmm, if I do this, daddy's still gonna love me. Hmm, if I don't do this, mommy's still gonna love me. In other words, I'm starting to get it. It's not based on what I do or don't do. Picture of the gospel. It's not based on what I do or don't do. And then last, asking this child to apologize to her brother, uh, to change, make a change in her life, equals repentance. And we want them coming away from those repeated uh, apologies to learn the gospel not only saves me from sin's punishment, but it, is, it, but it saves me from sin's power. In other words, it changes me. Moment by moment, over time, it is changing me. The gospel doesn't just save me. It doesn't just get me out of hell and into heaven. It is the power of God for transformation, to make me more and more uh, like Jesus Christ. All right, number three, your third reminder, verse 10. For our earthly fathers disciplined us for a few years doing the best they knew how. Do you hear something in that? They didn't always get it right. It was the best they knew how, but sometimes they got it wrong. And you're going to get it wrong. And you have. I'd love to ask you to raise your hand if you've never gotten it wrong and you're a parent because we'd want to pray for you. But instead, I'm going to pray for everybody here. I want to pray right now for all of the parents here for God to preserve you from the accusations of the enemy. And also to encourage you when it feels like there's no end in sight. Father, I do pray for every mom and dad here. When the going gets tough and they feel like they just discipline, discipline or repeat these kinds of things and it doesn't seem to make any, um, no progress being made. Um, some days their children tell them they hate them and that's so hard for a mom and dad to hear. And they wonder if the things that they are doing are actually going to hurt the child someday. What's this child going to grow up to be like? Are they, they going to grow up to be an axe murderer, or, you know, a serial killer, or 
um, somebody with no initiative, what kind of child am I creating? May they be reminded once more that ultimately it is you that turns the heart toward you. That ultimately it is you that convicts the world, including their son or daughter, of guilt in regard to sin, righteousness, and judgment. That it's ultimately you that calls these children to faith. It's ultimately you that regenerates, brings about new birth. That they are merely instruments along the way. And that they would neither place too much, much emphasis on their work with their children nor neglect to place the proper amount of emphasis to faithful, faithfully carry out and execute the work that you've called them to, this incredible ministry of helping shape prospective disciples. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, the last reminder, verses 10 and 11. The end of verse 10. But God's discipline is always good for us so that we might share in his holiness. Now think about if that's true of God and his children, then surely that's true for us and our children as well. That it is a good thing for them so that our children might share ultimately in God's holiness. No discipline is enjoyable while it's happening. It's painful. But afterward, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. My final reminder is that painful is the path to peace. The duty of discipline is to apply pain. Now, I want you to flip back to the book of Proverbs, chapter 22, for a minute. <clears throat> I brought my agricultural equipment with me this morning. And uh, Proverbs 22, verse 15 says this, a youngster's heart is filled with foolishness. Now, uh, if you're a teenager, don't take offense. That word youngster is a word for child that typically speaks about a little older child, not a six-year-old or a seven-year-old. And it's not that your heart is foolish as opposed to kids that your other kids your age. It's simply that we all grow up, uh, we come out of the womb foolish, and our mom and dad's job is to help wean that out of us over the years. So this is just, he's just talking about a normal condition for a child. Filled with foolishness, but physical discipline will drive it far away. Now, the actual wording here of the text where the NLT says physical discipline is if you have the ESV or another more literal translation, it says the rod of correction or the rod of discipline. This is what they mean. It's a shepherd's staff, Shabbat in Hebrew. And the shepherd would use this. This was a multi-purpose tool. What's that little thing you keep in your pocket, guys? What's it called? I, I mean, I really don't know. Leatherman. Yes, thank you, Leatherman. It can uh, take the manifold off your car's engine. Uh, it can uh, put stud walls up, uh, roof. It can do anything, right? 
So this did everything for the shepherd that he needed done. So if the, you got a sheep wandering over here, he could go over here and poke it back. If, if it's gone down over the hill, hillside of the rocky cliff, he can grab it by the neck and pull it back. This gets everything done that he needs done with the sheep. If you're a sheep, though, this is the business end of your shepherd's leatherman. The rod of discipline will drive the foolishness out of him. Now flip to the next chapter, Proverbs 23, and look at verses 13 and 14. Don't fail to discipline your children. The rod of punishment won't kill them. Now, my uh, wife and I used a paddle. Uh, we, we did not agree with some who say use your hand um, because you can control it better. We control the paddle just fine, thank you. Um, we didn't like the idea that the hand, which is used for tenderness and expressions of um, touch love, was used for discipline in that way. So we always used a paddle. But it was always on the backside. Always on the backside. And when they cry when you spank them, this verse was put in here for the parent in that event. Um, what's it? It says again, the rod of punishment won't kill them. It sounds like they're dying. But he wants you to know that's not going to happen. Physic, and then he goes on to flip the script, saying physical discipline may well save them from death. In other words, what you do as the child is young growing up, the training that you give them may well save them from the kind of foolishness that's going to lead to death. Maybe crossing a busy street when you're two or three years old by yourself. Maybe saying no to the group of friends that you have when you're 17 to a party at a house where nobody, no parents are home at the time may save you from death. So I discovered something this week I never knew before. There's a collection of muscles in the buttocks that are the strongest muscles in your body, the glutes. Never knew that. And then, of course, there's all that fat there it's almost as if God designed that part of the body for the Board of Education. <laughs> That's what my parents always said. Apply the Board of Education to the seat of knowledge. Now, they didn't get it because my, my parents used the yardstick on me. You know what a yardstick is? Man, that sucker's only about 3 16th inch thick. One good whack, even a slight whack, and it just snaps. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> I don't know how many yardsticks my parents destroyed on me but it wasn't it wasn't really all that effective because it didn't have the pain element in it so we as you have put together we are fans of spanking and I want to uh, I'm running out of time I know that but I want to give you a couple of thoughts on this it's interesting there are more and more parents who don't spank and I've you know, we usually talk about but not all of them were willing to do it. And it's true, the number of um, latest surveys in the United States are that about 35% of 35-year-old parents are spanking. 
Um, what uh, not everybody knows is that spanking is still legal in all 50 states in the, uh, in the United States. I looked up the criminal code in Pennsylvania, and it's very explicit. You are, you are allowed to spank. Uh, there are some states where schools are not allowed to spank, and I think fewer and fewer schools do anyway. They just don't want the risk of uh, litigation. But it's legal everywhere. It's legal in three quarters of the world's countries. Uh, around 55 countries have outlawed corporal punishment. Um, but it's still legal in the United States. There are quite a number of groups that are trying to ban it. Um, there's a big umbrella organization called NIECP. The National Initiative to End Corporal Punishment is uh, at the forefront of trying to put this, bring this to an end. Most scientific studies, psychological studies, uh, argue that spanking is harmful to the child. Not all, though. And there's some significant studies, most notably uh, one by Diana Baumrin back in 2001, who was, who was considered at that time uh, probably one of the most preeminent child psychi psychiatrists and psychologists uh, at Berkeley University. And she, uh, she did what some other psychologists are doing today. She started to tear apart the studies that were done saying that spanking is harmful. And what, what the uh, reassessors are discovering is that um, much like the rhetoric it, by the anti-spanking crowd, the studies made no distinction between spanking on a, a, a tap, a flick of the paddle on the buttocks uh, versus a slap across the face, um, harsh just reactions, kicking a child, punching a child, the kinds of things that most of us would call abuse, no distinctions. And so when these, uh, when control factors were inserted in these studies, the changes were significant in, in the results. I came across something in my research uh, by a Yale uh, professor of psychology and child psychiatry that I thought was revealing. I don't think he meant to be, uh, for it to be revealing in this way, but he says this, even though some parents are pro-spanking, the majority don't set out to spank their children. Instead, they do it out of anger and agitation. Parents get frustrated because the techniques they usually use sometimes don't work and things can escalate. Now, there's, there's some incredible tells in this that uh, were significant to me. The first one is that the parents who he's talking about didn't intend to spank their children. Now, for, for Betty and I, spanking was always in our toolkit. We didn't use it all the time for discipline, but most of the time it was our go-to discipline. So he's talking about people who, who it was the last resort for them. And when it's your last resort, you're usually ticked. The, the emotion has ratcheted up. You're not calm, cool, and collected when you apply discipline. So, the odds on that it's going to be calm, cool, and collected discipline are not, not good. Uh, the techniques they've normally used didn't work. Hmm, that's another piece that's interesting. And, and I w let me say this as a result of that. If spanking alternatives are just as effective, why is it that fewer and fewer school children seem obedient? And you talk to most public school teachers and they will tell you that things have gotten worse and worse and worse with trying to control children in the classroom. 
Secondly, why do fewer children evidence a developing maturity that is marked by self-control? And lastly, why does it seem like more and more parents are exasperated? This is something I've watched in the last 40 years. Seems like more and more parents just tearing their hair out. My children won't obey. They won't listen. What, what can I do? So let me give you a model for what it looked like when Betty and I uh, disciplined our children. And I'm convinced that spanking is far more effective than most forms of discipline. And, uh, and as illustration, two of our th- three kids were not spanked after three years old. Now the other one, it took more. And we will, that person will remain nameless, but the last spanking was nine years old. And uh, I don't, I'm not a fan of spanking after, uh, surely not after 10. I think part of the reason is because it can be so humiliating to the child that it loses its effectiveness. They're, they're on that path toward adulthood, and I don't think it has the same impact. So here's what we did. Child would do something, and the first thing we would do is get that child away from everybody else, never discipline in front of others. It's humiliating enough for them. It needs to be private. They don't need to be worried about what people are thinking who are looking at them. Uh, We'd usually do it in the bedroom if we could, uh, someplace private like that. Uh, We kept a paddle uh, on both floors of our house because we believed in Proverbs that justice should be swift, and we did not want to have to run upstairs and downstairs. And uh, we ca- it was a custom-made paddle. I made them in my shop, three-quarters of an inch thick, half-inch thick, and uh, had holes drilled in it. That was just for visual effect. Uh, it didn't, the way we swatted, we didn't have to worry about air resistance. But it looked, it looked nasty. And so I would sit child on my knee, arm around them, holding them, reviewing the offense, what went wrong, reminding them what we had told them already would take place if this happened again or if it happened. You never discipline for something you've not explained to your child, and you don't usually discipline the first time they do it or the second time. Warnings, you're building up, making sure they know what's going on. You're reviewing all of that before the discipline. We get to that point. I roll the child over my knee, one swat. I only... One time did I ever do more than one swat with a child. And it's none of this. If you have a paddle, just a flick of the wrist will get her done. It stings. You're not looking for anything but stinging. And you can tell if it stings or if your child, before you got to them, stuffed something down their pants. If it stings, there's an instantaneous jump. If the jump is delayed, you know they've got something in their pants. And as soon as that's over, we roll them back over, hold them, wait until the crying is over. You can't have a conversation while they're crying. You wait till the crying is done, and then you review everything you did at the very beginning. Remember what you did. Remember what we said would happen, and remind you that if this happens again, mommy and daddy will have the same response. We're going to do consistent discipline, the same, the same, the same. I had a woman call me one day. She said, She said, I feel like all I do is spank my child. I said, how old is he? Two. I said, that sounds about right. But if you do the hard work, you invest the hard work when they're young, you're going to have a 
far more enjoyable time with your children and they're going to have a far more enjoyable time with you. Why? Because you've established the ground rules and the understanding young. All right, series is over. And I want to just make 11 quick points to summarize the whole series. And these are on your outlines if you have them. One, proper priorities. God's first, my spouse is second, my children are third. Remember we talked the first Sunday about the importance of you maintaining a strong and healthy marriage. It will bless your children. Two, your main job is not to get your kids to obey. Your main job is to prepare your children to become disciples of Jesus Christ. Three, the main person responsible for the overall parenting, the one that I believe is going to answer to God one day, for the parenting in the home. Not that he has to do it all, but that he's responsible for the quality of it and the consistency of it and the health of it is dad. Four, planned parenting. No, this is not planned parenthood. Planned parenting. So much of parents' uh, training and discipline can just be reactive. I, I didn't plan for this. We didn't plan for how we're going to handle this. Have a united front between mom and dad. Get on the same page with your spouse early. This is tied together with the last one. How many of us parents didn't really start thinking about how we're going to parent until the first night the child's in our home? Like, now what do we do? We were so busy getting the nursery ready, so busy with everything else. Get a united front early with planned, intentional parenting. Understand your limits. Know that ultimately it's God who's going to change your child. Ultimately it's God who's going to save your child. Parent on your knees. You are not, if you're a Christian, you are only a fit parent if you have a serious prayer life because brother, sister, you need it. Parent on your knees and ultimately trust God. Seven, love your child, meaning discipline them. Eight, be an example. Be who you want your child to become. Nine, humble. Ask your child forgiveness when you mess up. In fact, I would say look for those opportunities. What a wonderful picture of telling your child, I am a broken sinner just like you. Mommy and daddy mess up as well. This is something I wish we would have done. Substitute. One time in your child's life, take their punishment for them. What a wonderful picture to show them the gospel the substitutionary work of Jesus Christ. And last, don't be too proud to ask for help. Father God, I pray your blessing on these dear parents. Help them, help them, help them. Glorify yourself in their parenting. Help them to realize this is going to be an intensive, labor-intensive, demanding responsibility for a very long time so that they would not grow weary in well-doing. And may they seek in their parenting to one day stand before you and hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. In Jesus' name, amen.